The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. I'd much rather, if I'm stuck on the roadside, see some good old boys in a pickup truck who might have fixed something before than somebody who had never opened the hood other than to show off what a big motor he has. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's something to be said for the way we live out here in the land of God, guns, grits, and gravy. Well, I'll tell you what. You know. Coming up on Life Today, Governor Mike Huckabee shares his admiration for the small-town working folk who believe in moral absolutes. joining us. I'm Betty and this is James and we have a dear, dear friend well, with us today. Well, we got today, Governor Mike Huckabee governor. with us, you know. Governor Mike Huckabee, he just stays <laughs> with the G's, you know, Governor. And now he's got a book, and I mean, it's just now like, it's gonna, you can get it. It's, ama it's amazing. Uh, God, Gun, Grits, and Gravy. <laughs> what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> Would you welcome Governor Mike Huckabee to life today? Thank you, James. Hey, buddy. Great Welcome to be home. here. Welcome it's home. great to be back. Thank you for having me. Does an Arkansas boy feel comfortable in Texas? Uh, except during football season, yes. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for having me. You know, this book is going to be a lot of fun for people. If they live in the land of God, guns, grits, and gravy, and people say, where is that? It's anywhere in America that's not in New York, Washington, or Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> and what I try to do in this book is to say, look, there are three bubbles of influence that really set the table for American culture. New York, Hollywood, and Washington, D.C. And whether it's fashion or finance or politics, news, entertainment, really our world is essentially created by the people who live in those what I call bubbles. And they are bubbles because those folks don't get out much. I go to New York every week and I'm there every week to do my show for Fox. I go in as late as I can. I get out as quick as I can. <laughs> a couple of days is all I need. People ask me, have you moved to New York? And I say, not unless they let me duck hunt in Central Park. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it is not my kind of town. Now, here's what I've learned. People there think that they are all of America. They don't understand those of us who live out here in what some people call flyover country. So the land of God, gun, guns, grits, and gravy is really an explanation of the difference between the Bubbleville of those areas and what I call the Bubbaville, where Bubbas live, <laughs> where people live who drive trucks and who hunt and fish. And who work. And who work and work hard. Yeah, on purpose they work. Yeah. And people who, they go to church. Yeah. And they pray and they teach their children to pray and they don't. Uh, use profanity in s settings, especially around women. You know, I used to watch movies, James, and I'd watch a, a movie and I'd think, this is going to be pretty good. And then there would be just this gratuitous profanity. And it was such disgusting language. And I thought, why did they put that language there? People don't talk like this in real life. Now I started working in New York and I found out, oh, yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. But, you know, growing up in, in our world, again, the land of God, guns, grits, and gravy, where, wow, we'd have been slapped to the floor if we'd have said things like that. Exactly right. And you never cursed around a woman. Mm -hmm. That just, and women just didn't 
use profanity. You know, if they I, did, they I, were I, considered trash. I lived in a low-level area. I lived in poverty areas. And we had rough, we had gangs. Yeah. But I can remember the first time I heard somebody use the F word. Yeah. And it shocked me. And I turned, and here I'm not a Christian. Yeah. I didn't have a father. We, we were poor. But I thought, just said that at school? It, it stunned me. Now it's almost as though you go to entertainment, you'd be stunned if it wasn't almost every sentence. And it's like it's the, the language that the entertainment community, and even in so many of the publications today, I don't care if you go to Huffington Post to yeah. say, oh, let's get the news here, and it's filled with all this junk. And the whole world is going that way, and it's like they are saying this is the way it is with most of America. And I've got to be honest with you, Bubbaville and most of America, sadly, has kind of handed the future off to these people by just trying to take care of business at home yep. and they don't realize all these other people in Bubbleville are giving us the business exactly and literally right. taking us over the cliff. And they, don't, they seem to not realize it, but they better wake up because these are the people that can correct the course, in my opinion. That's exactly what can happen. One of the things I want to do is to help people who live in Bubbleville feel better about who they are. They don't need to feel embarrassed or ashamed that they're not in New York, Washington, or Hollywood. They need to be grateful that they live in a land where people will still pull their cars over when the funeral procession is coming by. But people will still speak to each other in the store, even if it's a total stranger. You know, you learn in New York, never make eye contact with a stranger. It creeps New Yorkers out. They don't, they, what, what do you want? No, I'm serious. And so you just, you just swim in your own lane. There's just too many people to say hello to, I guess. But, you know, we're used to... Uh, going into Walmart, and we say, hi, how are you? Hi, good to yeah, see you. That's right. And, and it's just normal. We don't think a thing about it. I like that culture, James. I like that sense of community. And I don't think we need to be ashamed of it. I don't think we ought to raise our kids where they feel like that they're being deprived because they live in a small town, because they live in a place where people still raise the flag, where they tear up when the national anthem is played. I want people to love this country. And so I, I do this book for two reasons. One, to let people in Bubbaville feel that they're okay. But I also, I want to explain who we are to the people in the bubbles because they don't get us. Mm -hmm. They don't understand us. Now, the truth is we understand them pretty well because every movie and television series is set in where? Hollywood or New York. Mm -hmm. We even know the neighborhoods of New York without having been there. <laughs> but they don't know our neighborhoods. They don't know how we live. And I know from conversations just the ownership of a firearm scares the living daylights out of a lot of people in New York City, even people that, you know, I work with. And, you know, you'll talk about something regarding a gun and they get tense, like they're ready to dive up under the table, like <laughs> something's going to happen. I'm thinking, guys, we grew up with a healthy understanding that firearms are there to protect us. They're not there to hurt us. And we grow up with such a healthy well, respect, and it is drilled into sporting us. activities sure. that, that is exciting to people. It's all about safety. It's all about responsibility. Lessons that then transfer as we live the rest of our lives, learning, take care of your business, be safe, and be responsible. And if you're not responsible, what happens? You lose privileges and rights. It's a great life lesson. And most of us learned it when we were five or six years old with a BB gun. Mm-hmm. And we really did. The whole idea right now, though, of the Bubbleville that concerns me is there seems to be an attitude that the people who've been successful, 
you know, are really public enemy number one. I know a lot of people who are successful. Matter of fact, you know, we're drilling water wells right now. Right. We have people who drill a water well. That's $4,800. Mm -hmm. We have people who will drill several water wells. They have been successful, and they're full of love. I'm finding a lot of wealthy people that are tired of being perceived as public entity number one, and they're beginning to focus their attention on how can we help the people who have been overlooked, they have not been focused on to help, the left it up to Uncle Sam, made him Father God, God Almighty, and he is not God Almighty. He's not even a good uncle anymore. And we're going to have to get this under control. And I'm finding some of the successful people realizing that the ability God gave us to succeed, we need to pass it on and not just hand it off with our taxes to Uncle Sam. I am watching what I perceive to be an awakening where the upper end is saying, hey, we got some responsibility, not just paying taxes or being perceived as the enemy. And where people who haven't made as much need to see them as this is opportunity. We can all ascend if we'll go together. I see a, a tremendous need to pull together. When I read your title here, you are saying that average American is not to be overlooked. Right. The upper end and the upper echelon of, quote, big shots in the political echelon of the elitist, you better learn to speak the language of the people and not manipulate them anymore. We better begin to communicate. I hear you attempting to communicate with the greater population of America, the only ones who can correct the course, this, and we better communicate well. Well, and this book is written for people who sweat through their clothes every day, who lift heavy things, who get their hands dirty. I didn't write this for the people at Harvard. They're not going to understand it. It'll be over their heads. This is written, <laughs> and I mean, this is written for people who, whether they have a great education, they're smart people. Because I'm going to tell you something. Country people are resourceful people. Yes, You know why? Are. Poor people are resourceful people. You know why? Because they have to be. They have to learn. I grew, grew up as a, like you did as a poor kid. Well, let me tell you something. We didn't have all the elaborate toys. So if we wanted to play King Arthur in the Knights of the Round Table, a trash can lid became our That's shield. Right. Uh, a yardstick was my sword. <laughs> my bicycle was my horse. We put cards in the spokes to make it sound like a, a motorcycle. Um, we go. made There's up nothing things. Wrong with being creative. We were creative. <laughs> we learned to be creative. Now, here's another thing. We had some serious fights, too. <laughs> yes, we did. And it's a wonder, you know, our, our parents would always say, you're going to put your eye out. It's a wonder I have anything to see with, <laughs> considering what I did. But, you know, we, we survived our childhood. We didn't have helicopter parents uh, hovering over us to make sure that, you know, we didn't stump our toe or somebody said something to hurt our feelings. We got our feelings hurt a lot. And we hurt some people's noses in the process. <laughs> That's how we learned how to grow up. You mentioned about the people drilling, drilling water wells. Let me tell you something. In the land of God, guns, grits, and gravy, you know who the most generous people in America are? A survey, and I quote the survey, the most generous people in America are not the people living in the bubbles. People who are off That's to the right. left politically, who are all talking about how we need to help the downtrodden, they give the least amount of money to charity in the country. You know where the most money comes from? From the southern poor states where people go to church, where they love God and they have an understanding of stewardship. So I don't want people who live in this wonderful flyover country to think, oh, I wish we could be like them. I'm thinking, no, you don't want to be like that. You want to be generous. You want to be that person who makes the sacrifice and doesn't have $4,800, but will spend it anyway because you say, I got all the water I can pour in my house. There's people that don't have any. That's right. That's so, right. They're and that's who's giving in many cases, the sacrificial gifts of good, responsible stewards who are giving out of a heart of compassion and generosity.
And you know what would have wrecked us too when we were kids without anything? Had somebody been telling us they were going to come by every week and give us a check, just stay where you are. You and I knew if we yeah. got out of where we were, we had to work our way out. Absolutely. If we wanted anything, we had to go earn it. Nobody was going to come give it to us. And what's happened today is these manipulators have told people, we'll take care of you and give you everything, even though we're supporting all kinds of derelict habits and we're even supporting drug habits, all kinds of excesses, and there is no accountability, no responsibility because there's no one close at home overseeing what's going on with all the people's money that we're just doling out and we're actually destroying the incentive and tenacity that literally gave us the ability to go out and make something out of very difficult circumstances. There wasn't anything going to stop me. If I wanted something, I had to work to get it. Somehow, we have sold the lie to the American people. Well, we have. And, and if we tell people that we're going to pay you to not work, but we're going to punish you if you do by putting you in a higher and higher tax bracket. And the more that you earn, the harder you work. If you work two shifts, you, you get less money because mm -hmm. the government will take most of the second shift. I'm not talking about rich people. I'm talking about people no, just wanting to reach the next rung on the ladder in middle class. Mm -hmm. If they work two shifts at the factory, they don't get double the pay. They're going to get barely over this first shift because the government will say, oh, you're making that much? Well, <laughs> you must be doing something wrong. Yeah. Now, in the meantime, if you really want to get some government help, Go home, put your feet up, watch ESPN all day, and you'll qualify for a bunch of grants. <laughs> people in what I call the real world understand if you pay people to not work long enough, they'll get used to not working. And if you punish people for working real hard, they'll figure that it doesn't pay to work real hard. We grew up in a time and in a world where working hard was what it was all about. I'd still be in poverty in Hope, Arkansas. Had it not been for the fact that my dad said, son, you want BBs for your BB gun? Go collect pop bottles in That's your little right. red wagon. And exactly. when you get enough to go to the Western Auto Store, it's you can buy you a tube of BBs for your Daisy 25, and then you got some BBs. Want a ball glove? Well, go sell cards door to door. or do, uh, <laughs> See if somebody needs their leaves raked. I understood that, and I, I'm not the, the worse off for that. I'm the better off for that. I love the stories that I can convey to people. I'm going to tell you one that you're, you're going to love. There's a makeup artist in Little Rock, Arkansas named Nancy. She was out with some girlfriends one night. They were eating dinner at a restaurant. She had an early call the next day. She wanted to go home, get some sleep. None of them wanted to go. They want to sit around and talk. But they wouldn't take her home, and she had ridden with somebody else, so she called to see how much a cab would cost. It was going to cost her $25 to get a cab home in Little Rock. She said, I'm not doing that. She looked next door. There's a Papa John's pizza. She picks up her cell phone. She calls Papa John said, I'd like to order a pizza for delivery. They said, where would you like to deliver? She says, my house, and I'd like to ride home with it. <laughs> Nancy buys a $10 pizza. <laughs> And for $10, she gets a ride home and a pizza. Now, let me ask you something. If you are in a bind, who do you want to be stuck with? Nancy, who will get you home, or some MBA for Harvard with a BMW who wouldn't figure out in a dozen ways he'd have to go to an ATM to figure could he pay for the taxi. I'm telling you, don't tell me that country people and people in rural America aren't smart. Even if they aren't well-educated, I'd much rather, if I'm stuck on the roadside, see some good old boys in a pickup truck who might have fixed something before than somebody who had never opened the hood other than to show off what a big motor he has. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's something to be said for the way we live out here in the land of God, guns, grits, and gravy. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, Betty and I, 
we, we live in a, an area that's got this some pretty nice home. <laughs> we live in a nice and we still, we, we must be Bubba. Because <laughs> I promise you, we have the same convictions. We believe in hard work. We believe in loving our neighbor. We believe what Paul said in the, in the Philippians chapter 2, that we're not to look out only for our own interests, but also the interests of others. And that really is saying exactly what Jesus said when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. See, Paul said, look out for your own interests. You see, in the free market world, your own interest is what causes you to go to work. You're interested in your family, you're interested in success. Nothing wrong with that. But with the same diligence that you look out for your own interest, look out also for the interests of others. Why can't we all find a way to get in the game so that we're all responsible for what they're doing, not with somebody else's money, but all of our money? you would see this whole thing revolutionized. You'd free the American people. Mm -hmm. We would become more productive, interested in our own well-being, and more effective being interested in others. There's a way to do that. The fair tax is a tax on our... That was a, a good campaign our, speech, that's by That's a way. great campaign speech. <laughs> you know, I the, bet that's in this book, right? It here. is in that book. That is in the book. Uh, the fair tax is a tax on consumption, not productivity. And Why I like should that. you punish people for their productivity? You, you shouldn't. shouldn't. Yeah. But if you, if you tax consumption, guess what? the richest people will pay the most taxes because they consume more. Even crooks. Everybody, everybody <laughs> will pay something. See, I believe in the biblical understanding of stewardship. Everybody should have something invested. God doesn't say, oh, you're too poor, don't give anything. He says, everyone give a tithe. Now, what does that mean? I gave a tithe, James, when Janet and I barely could rub two nickels together. Sure. We were looking for the other nickel in the sofa cushion. <laughs> yeah. So sure. I understand. what. But sure. you know what? God blessed on absolutely. giving whether we had a yes, lot absolutely. or whether we didn't. And God's blessed us recently. We're grateful for that. But I'm telling you something. Uh, giving proportionately is biblical. Mm -hmm. So if everybody said, look, I'm only going to pay a tax based on what I consume, then everyone's going to contribute, but they're going to contribute according to that which they have rather than that which they wish they had. Yeah. That makes more sense. And one of the best things about that, we would get rid of the IRS. They would be gone, <laughs> done forever and forever. And let me tell you something. For, for our leaders to sit down and talk about what he just said would be so much more simple than sitting down and talking about Obamacare or health care when they absolutely are clueless what to do about it. You like this guy? Would you just say thank you, Mike? You can get the book in the bookstores. And uh, I'll tell you what, Mike, if you don't mind, uh, if, if there's some people that would like to have it who are watching us, who love to help people, just to say thank you. We're sending Betty's, uh, really, her life journey, and much of that journey has been with me. Mm. And obviously, you know, that would be challenging, but God has been giving her strength. Betty is a saint. We all know it. <laughs> a miracle worker. But here is her journal and her journey, as well as through life. But also, what she wrote is we were dealing with the loss of our daughter and that pain. Uh, we'll be more than happy to send you all of those if you'll just do this. Help us give a cup of water in Jesus' name. Would you do that? I want you to see a young man. His name is France. I want you to see what he's doing as a young boy to share. <laughs> Run my loot, and I fatted the run of my loot, run to the king, no netizen, Here in Madagascar, life is hard. 
under even the best of circumstances. But for some, it's brutal. For two years, France has tried to care and provide for his sister the best he could. Same water that robbed them of a mother now threatens her life too, and his. Despite the cruelty of all he has endured, this remarkable young man has grown a heart of compassion for the suffering. He saw his mother's pain and struggle after she was left to raise a family alone. He remembers her tears. Think about it. In a place of extreme need, under circumstances that would leave most people crushed, bitter, and broken, France counts his blessings, thinks of others, and gives generously in the midst of his need. Simple acts of generosity. Yours today could save a life like that of France or the little sister he cares for. You see, clean water is life to them and a hope for a better future. All of you thank God for the example of that young man that you've just seen in one of the poorest nations in the world, Madagascar. There is a young man, actually, Governor Huckabee, he's doing exactly what we were talking about. Mm. He is loving others as he loves himself. He cares about himself. He's trying to take care of himself. He's making a little bit of money, but he was spending his time helping others. Isn't that what we can find great joy doing? Jesus said, if you give a cup of water in my name, you won't lose your reward. I really believe what Jesus is saying, Betty, is if you understand the power of generosity and love expressed, you can't possibly lose. You see, because when you serve and you bless, that in itself is blessing. It's unspeakable blessing. Betty and I have never in our lives, never in over 50 years that we've been married, we have never given a gift thinking the person we gave it to might do something for us. We've always given it to bless. We, we've never actually made a gift thinking what would come back to us, knowing that when you sow, you do reap. But we found such joy in giving to bless. That was all the reward we needed. And the focus was there, and it still is. And we have found that you, the viewer, have found indescribable joy doing exactly what that young man was doing. We can do something to help others. Let me tell you what we can do. He's trying to get some water when they deliver some. We can drill a well right in their midst. We can give them fresh, clean water and eradicate so many of the diseases. Would you right now reach out and touch someone with love? Would you go to the phone, dial the number? It's always there as a prayer number if you need someone to pray with you, and it's paid for by love. Would you dial the number today and say, I want to help drill a water well in that village? Our goal is to drill 500 this year. We have drilled 4,000. I say we, that's all of us together. 
Betty and I enjoy giving to every water well emphasis. Can you drill a well? Do you have a $4,800 gift or would you make one? Would you make a part of that gift amount, $1,200, and pray, Lord, raise up three more? Could you give $2,400 and pray it'll be matched by someone else? Please keep this in mind because this is where most of the support comes. A gift of $48 gives 10 people water the rest of their life. $144, as an example, 30 people water for the rest of their life. There is a level at which all of us can participate. We have some gifts to share with you that I know you're going to appreciate. Our viewers have asked, would you please give us those Water for Life coffee cups again? I'm telling you, once you drink coffee out of it, you'll want to take it wherever you get coffee and you'll want your friends to have them. And you know what? It brings up the conversation about blessing others with a cup of water. We're going to send them to you to say thank you and we've got the beautiful Kincaid painting. It is a canvas. It is framed just like you see it and you will cherish it. We want to send it to you if you'll make a gift toward a well of $1,200 or more. If possible, I hope you'll give a well. Please dial the number, use your bank card like a check, or go lifetoday.org and make the gift right there. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for sharing the love of God in a very meaningful way. Every day, millions of children are forced to make a dreadful choice, drink filthy, polluted water filled with deadly disease, or die from thirst. No child should ever be faced with this decision. The good news is there is a solution. Mission Water for Life is one of the most exciting and viable demonstrations of God's love in the world today. Suffering can end because clean water changes everything. With your gift today, we can establish and drill 500 water wells for remote villages in over 12 different nations. Your gift of $24 will help provide clean water for five people. A gift of $48 will help provide for 10 people. $72 will impact 15 people and $144 will help provide fresh, clean, disease-free water for 30 people for a lifetime. With your gift, you'll receive the brand new Free To Be Me 40-Day Devotional where Betty shares the challenges, victories, and insights God gave her while struggling through fear and insecurity. You'll also receive Betty's book, Free To Be Me. With your gift of $100 or more, you may request Life's Inspirational Coffee Mug Set, featuring encouraging quotes and scripture to brighten your mornings for years to come. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,200 to help provide water for 250 people or a gift of $4,800 to help sponsor a complete well and request this beautifully framed canvas print of the Forest Chapel by the painter of light, Thomas Kincaid. Please call, write, or make your gift online today. You know, in addition to the uh, gifts that we have mentioned, if you'd like to have Mike Huckabee's book, God, Guns, Grits, and Gravy, I think it'll inspire a lot of people to do the right thing. Weren't you inspired by that young man? Uh, he, he blessed me because if he can give out of what he has, which is nothing, it makes us all realize we can give out of the something God's given us. Yes. Beautiful, and I, beautiful story. And I'm finding people experience so much joy doing it. Mike, I love you. You know that, Thank buddy. Thank you. Love would, you, would you do? Would you do another program with us this week? And I'd let's love talk to. Uh, about, I, I mean, a lot of people are asking me, what do you think Governor Huckabee's going to do? You think he might run for president, you know, in the future? Could we talk about that on the next show? Well, we are now because you just <laughs> brought it up. <laughs> all right, tune in. We'll talk to Mike later in the week. God bless you. Thank all of you for being here.
Bible teacher Beth Moore tomorrow. Listen, you will not have a problem with your personal significance if the hand of the Lord is upon you. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.